0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to React Native Radio. Today on the panel, we have Josh Justice. Hey, everyone. And Charles Max Wood. Hey, everybody. And I'm today's host, Chris Reyes. And today we're going to be talking about React Native pros and cons, and we're going to base it off an article we'll link in the show notes by NetGuru. So a cool aspect of this article is they wrote it initially when they got into the React Native space, and this is an update after having... A considerable amount of experience at working with react native
1: when i'm building a new product g2i is the company that i call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version g2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with react react native graphql and mobile engineers who you can trust whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help g2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals Go to devchat.tv slash g2i to learn more about what g2i has to offer. In my experience, g2i is linked up with experienced developers that can fit my budget, and the g2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to devchat.tv slash g2i to learn more about g2i.
2: Yeah, I didn't catch this article in the first place, but I'm excited to see it now. Excited to see folks kind of tracking with the changes in the community. I mean, there's another number of years that React Native has under its belt now. So I was excited to go through it in preparation for today's episode.
1: Yeah, well, and this is a conversation that I have frequently since, you know, on devchat.tv, we have an iOS native show where we talk about Swift and things like that. And then, you know, talking about this and... Um, I've got a project coming down the pike, uh, look out the beginning of the year for the Kickstarter for that, um, where we're really going to need a, a mobile app and, you know, and so people are talking to me about, yeah, you know, do I do react native or do I do, um, iOS and Android native, or do I go with something like Ionic slash, uh, Cordova and yeah, anyway, it's, it's really kind of an interesting space to play in. Um, incidentally, we're also on views on view, going to have a view plus Cordova. So they're not using Ionic or any other framework on top of Cordova. Uh, we're having that episode recorded uh, tomorrow. And so anyway, it's just interesting to kind of dig in and go, huh, what's going on, right? And yeah.
0: Yeah. And this article does a real good job of seeing it from multiple perspectives. And, you know, another thing to take into account too is team size. So, I mean, as we get through the details, we'll see how that can affect the implementation of React Native in your company. But, you know, the common baseline that's great about, you know, Ionic, you know, Vue Native or React Native is obviously having the one code base for multiple platforms. So, obviously, that's the real big pro. Uh, Josh, when you first, got, you know, were coming to this, what were your thoughts about having one code base for multiple, you know, environments? Were you hesitant? Did it seem too good to be true? I know you were in a Java land where they originally had the, you know, write once, run everywhere kind of idea.
2: I think before I came to React Native, I wasn't thinking too much about cross-platform development personally. Um, You know, Big Nerd Ranch builds native iOS apps, native Android apps, web apps. And so in those days, I was a web developer, so I did the web part. And I had done an iOS app on the side. And so for my own personal project, cool, I'll get an iOS Built it out like it was good. It was no rush on it. Uh, I wanted to learn some iOS to get a taste for it anyway, so that was very motivating. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not coming to React Native myself with as much of a comparison in terms of other approaches that I have taken or projects projects that I've been on have taken for cross-platform targeting or anything like that. Um, it, React Native does seem very appealing to me for cross-platform. Um, like I, I certainly, and I might be able to keep up iOS knowledge on the side, I would not be able to also learn Android on the side myself and keep that going. You know, when money is no object, you can of course, and, and hiring is no object because it can be hard to hire for mobile developers or any developers sometimes. Um, so when money is no object and you can hire, you know, of course you can get an iOS team and Android team. Some of the points in the article though, talk about how even if you can do that, there's still positives to React Native. But yeah, like, I mean some of the personal factors that impact me, you know, my perspective and where I come from, as a front-end developer, already knowing React is very, very helpful to get into React Native. The article mentioned that as one of the points is, you know when your team already knows React, then the, the, the boundary to get into React Native is smaller than Flutter or anything else out there. Um, so it's very appealing for me. And it, for organizations where they already have a React web app and are looking to add new native apps. That's one of the sweetest spots that I could see for React Native. Um, lots of other pros and cons um, in the article we can discuss, but that's that's some of the thoughts that occurred to me. How about you, Chris?
0: Yeah, that's actually, you know, let's kind of go through these point by point because I think that's the article is kind of laid out beautifully for that. So the first point is faster to build. And uh, this week or yeah, this week at work, I've been working with another hybrid cross-platform environment and. Uh, I'm really noticing how fast it is to build and get set up and running with React Native. And especially when it comes to debugging, it is just, you know, the, the setup, especially if you're coming from a React, nat- or just React, having the Create React app um, kind of environment. When you flow into React Native, if you're using Expo or the CLI, getting up and running with like a web console just to see logs is so nice and, versus some other environment set up. Now, I don't have firsthand experience with setting up a Swift app or a straight Android app, but just running logs in Xcode and kind of having to fish through them can, for me, has been a little bit difficult. So that's why I really appreciate, uh, you know, the faster development time of React Native and having that access to the, you know, Chrome Web console or whatever console you're using.
2: Another thing they mentioned in that section of the article was uh, framework provides numerous ready-to-apply components that can accelerate the process. Um, and they mentioned third party packages available as well. So I think there, there's a pro and con there in my mind. Uh, maybe I'm overly in the middle and they'll be very frustrating for listeners. But um, so I, I see a pro and a con here where like, um, yes, React Native core and React Native community provide a bunch of uh, access to native functionality. And there are a bunch of third party packages as well. In contrast to iOS in particular, as iOS doesn't have a, an official a widely adopted package system, Swift Package Manager, is still up and coming the last I heard about it. Um, so you tend to not reach for open source software quite as often on iOS native development um, and tend to not build it. And so just the fact that that's in the DNA of the React world and the JavaScript world is very helpful. I will I'm, say... I'm gonna,
1: know, I need to comment on that a little bit because CocoaPods is a thing, right, in iOS. And and people have been using it for a long time. But yeah, it it's not something that everybody uses... Um, it's all written in Ruby as well. So you wind up using this, you have to install Ruby in order to <laughs> use CocoaPods pods to build your Swift apps. Um, so, so there, there is still a little bit of, uh, how do I put it? Just, you know, there, there's an extra barrier there. I mean, you don't have to know Ruby to use it, but it's, the same. And, and I think there's, what is it? ShipLane or uh, Fastlane? Fastlane, fast lane. Yeah. Which is also written in Ruby. So there are tools. It's interesting to me that all those tools are written in Ruby, but, um, yeah, you know, in order to do a lot of the stuff there, you wind up pulling in, you know, a Ruby runtime in order to make it work. The, the flip side is, is yeah, um, I don't know if Android has one at all. And
2: I think maybe maybe the Maven is sort of a package based platform back from the Java server side days. It yeah. seems like it's used as well. So to me, the Java community, Android community seems to have a bit more of a default approach to package management. And so your clarification is really good. Like on iOS. There's not a default approach. There's an alternative called Carthage. I at yes. least have run across folks that have strong opinions against uh, CocoaPods. So I think there's a mixed view there, whereas there's almost no JavaScript developers that would say, NPM, forget NPM. I would never use NPM. It's like, you kind of do. Like, it's just sort of sort of where people go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've heard people complain about NPM. Um, some of it's political. Some of it's... Functional some of its other stuff, you know, a lot of people have a different reasons for not really necessarily 100% liking NPM or the way that they've done certain things But it's it's kind of the default way of going and there's not a there's not a way around it So yeah, I found
2: a bit of the article that ties to what I was saying so Chris I'm gonna jump ahead to the con sections to make a parallel that one of the cons listed says there's a lack of some custom modules Um, You know, some functionality that's either built into the native OS's or third-party code is not directly accessible through React Native JavaScript modules, and so those need to be written. Um, The article kind of downplays that. I feel like in in my work, it's been sort of a mixed bag. Um, The example that that I give often is um, when I'm not using Expo, getting audio APIs or getting push notifications. Like, there are certainly packages there. There were several different audio packages. The steps to integrate them seemed kind of challenging. Um, I think for the audio ones, I had to sort of assess which seemed to be still be maintained. And so, I feel like the availability of, of custom modules to access native interfaces is kind of a mixed bag in the React Native world. Um, I still love React Native, but um, I I don't personally assume that I'll be able to find a JavaScript package for anything I might possibly need for React Native. Um, where would you put yourself, Chris, on that? Like, do you feel like? those packages are almost always there. Do you often find yourself needing to custom build something at the native level?
0: Uh, No, I have not run into that. I mean, a lot of my, it's been mostly standard. I haven't, you know, run into a situation where I needed something extremely, you know, different from what's offered out of the box. Like I used a react native camera uh, and maps pretty early and there was some, you know, native tweaking at that point that is covered now. So I, I never had to do any kind of specific, uh, native implementation but I do think that the ecosystem of JavaScript kind of adds a different kind of pro slash con to this that the article kind of misses out is you know because there's no standard navigation or way you know ways to handle camera or you know whatever it kind of leads you to that level of you know R&D that needs to be done when you're working on a project And, you know, with that, you know, it offers, you need kind of that multifaceted knowledge of all the different ecosystems between Android, iOS and JavaScript. And, you know, another, the last point I want to point out is, you know, if you're like me, it can kind of put you in that analysis paralysis where, you know, when you're trying to choose a navigation library, it's going to take a considerable amount of research because you want to choose what's right. You have to think about the packages, the commits, the maintainers. There's just a lot there to unpack where in a native land, obviously, you, that's all taken away from you. So it's kind of, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess, is um, the only kind of phrase I can come up with. I don't know if you guys kind of agree with that or if you you lean more on the side of, no, like having decisions made for us is what's best long term.
1: I'm going to jump in on this too. I I agree generally, but of course I kind of came up doing rails where a lot of those decisions were mostly made for me and I would just vary when I had a really solid reason to do it. And so, yeah, I like having the decisions made for me in a lot of ways. Um, One other thing related to, you know, we're talking about with the kind of support you get for some of these things is that, so I bought a React Native template for a video app and I figured I could just adapt it to audio, right? I would just pull all the video interface out and drop audio in. But I wanted to get it to build first. And I've upgraded my Mac to macOS uh, Catalina. And so when I pulled it in, it told me immediately that it couldn't build it and that I had to upgrade it. So I upgraded React Native, uh, you know, the React Native app to the latest React Native. And then it wouldn't build because it can't find references to the video library and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting just from the sense that If it were all, you know, kind of like what Chris has implied a little bit, if it were all JavaScript, it wasn't using stuff from these other ecosystems, it wouldn't be as big a deal. It wouldn't be looking for the header files and the, you know, the native built stuff and things like that. And uh, yeah, so you wind up, you wind up fighting some of those battles too, where you have to play the integration game with it. But that said, I mean, the flip side is, is that I don't have to go learn Swift, right? I don't have to go learn Kotlin. Um, and I don't have to figure out how to build two different apps as much. There is a little bit of that that you run into with React Native, but not not to the degree of, oh, I've got two completely different ecosystems that I've got to support. So yeah, so there's that as well. You know, it is one framework and yeah, but some of the native stuff is still just not quite so seamless that it just works.
2: Right. I mean, one of the things you get from iOS in particular, and some of the more conservative clients and iOS developers I've interacted with would say this, is that, um, you know, Apple releases a new OS, Apple releases a new Xcode. And so they, they are integrating all their things. They all work together. Although, I mean, I think they also acknowledge some of Apple's limitations. They might deprecate some of their services and things like that. But you probably won't get into situations where it's like, oh, just things just doesn't work. New Xcode, nothing works. Um, because you're, you're on that central path, and, like that, and that is a sense in which iOS native development is very unified. Everybody's using Xcode, the tools all provided by Apple, the APIs are all provided by Apple, the hardware, you know, of course, everybody knows this, but iOS, that integration there. And so that is an aspect where you're on the well-trodden path for iOS native development. Should we go on to other points within the article?
0: Yeah, so we kind of have talked about the next two points, but I think it's we should probably just key in on them. So the second point is one framework, uh, one framework, multiple platforms. You know, they kind of point to the idea of code sharing uh, across multiple platforms. Obviously, Android, and iOS, but you know, then they pull on the web because you can use some of your code for web. And you know, a lot of this, uh, as Charles has mentioned, you do run into some issues. But the React Native platforms package kind of. You know can be a remedy for this you have you know, here and there you might need an if statement and check which environment you're in and you may need to render a little bit differently but uh you know i obviously that was one of the things i ran into at first was um you know native base does a good job of handling this of how things should look on each platform and they obviously leverage that platform package a lot and another issue too is the ipad and how things should look and so I think it's the device package where you can kind of check the aspect ratio and, you know, see what screen you're on and change your layout for an iPad. So React Native, I feel like in that area, does a good job of kind of giving you those tools, kind of dive in and see where you're at and change how things should look and rendered and act.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely a a big thing where you can, yeah, you can see it kind of everywhere as you work on it. I, I really, really dig that.
2: And I would describe this area, not just in terms of code sharing, but just also sharing the just development approach. Um, you know, whether I'm actually sharing components across the web and iOS and Android, I would, I mean, for the projects I think about, I would almost always have a single React Native project that does target both iOS and Android. With my web background, I'm often likely to have a separate React web application. And for the hobby project I mentioned last week, I'm doing that. Um, so I don't share component code across them, although there's a few interesting approaches for doing that. Data layer code, I might very well share, just kind of standalone, plain JavaScript classes and modules and things like that. But even if I'm not sharing any code across the projects, um, or it's totally separate projects, maybe I have a different, my, my app for the web is a different app with a different use than my app for React Native, and yet it's still using the React rendering model, and is still using Redux for the data layer, and it's still using the JavaScript language and ECMAScript and Jest for testing. And so just um, being in the same tools with the same approaches, um, I think that itself is uh, a huge time savings and cost savings and the things you learn. Oh, I learned this weird thing about JavaScript promises and something I was getting wrong and now I've got it right. That now applies to all the applications I work on. Um, So that can lead to, I I guess I should jump right there. We'll talk a little bit later about smaller teams and kind of unifying it there. Avoiding those silos um, between languages and tooling just because there's so much you need to learn to work in each of those silos. And that's why I would say that there's a, there's a meme that's been around the industry for a while about like, you know, you're, you're not a React Native developer or a JavaScript developer, you're a developer. Just think of yourself as a developer, and developers can work in any language. And I think in some sense that's right, and I definitely support learning from different ecosystems. Uh, on the flip side, we shouldn't assume that we can be instantly productive in any other ecosystem because there's things about the tooling you need to learn, and there's things about the mental model, and there's edge cases and bugs. It's like, oh yeah, there's this thing in Android Studio you always have to do to fix it. You know, you just learn those things with time. And so our human capacities aren't infinite. And so if I can go deep in the JavaScript and react ecosystems, um, that pays dividends versus if my uh, time and attention or my team's time and attention is spread out across multiple platforms. So I see that, that benefit there, even if there's zero code sharing per se between the projects.
0: Yeah, I, I agree and I think uh I feel good about that point. You guys ready to move on to the next one?
1: Yeah, the the only other thing that I'll add here is that and I don't know if this is discussed in one of the other points but just that, you know, React Native, you know, makes the claim and I think it's a fair claim that, you know, you're running a lot of stuff with native UIs. And one of the things that I've run into with some of the other, I mean, obviously if you're writing native code, it's going to have a native UI. The other, the other one that comes to mind that also does a native UI is NativeScript, which is a Telerik slash progress uh, platform. But if you're using like Ionic or Cordova, um, a lot of that is actually built in a web view when you're using web technologies. And it's gotten a lot better. Like you can't all, you almost can never tell nowadays that, you, you know, which way it's running. But they still have to actually go and translate that and make sure that the performance and things like that work. And, uh, you know, in this case, you know, that, that native angle on things just really makes it, at least to me, it feels like, uh, more like an app and works, you know, generally how I would expect it to. And and like I said, I think, I think the Ionics and, and Cordova's of the world, you know, do that as well, but they've got to go and make sure that it's actually doing that because it's not the native UI, it's something else. And so they've got to do more work to make it get there where this kind of, happens automatically. And then it's, you know, connecting over the JavaScript bridge to everything else that, that you're responsible for that, you know, you have to make sure, you know, runs nicely on on that end. And so it takes one concern out of the package for you.
2: That makes a lot of sense, Chuck. And there's something you said uh, that I think, uh, you you said it well, and I think there's ways that the article I think describes it that, that folks could misunderstand. Uh, when folks say about React Native, oh, your your JavaScript compiles down to native code. Infinite Red is a US-based consultancy specializing in React and React Native. They do mobile app and web design and development. They are deeply involved in the React and React Native open source communities, publish the React Native newsletter with 10,000 subscribers, and are involved with the React Native core development. If you have a project and need design or engineering help from an experienced team to take it all the way from concept to completion, get in touch with Infinite Red. Also check out Chain React, the React Native conference, which is hosted by Infinite Red in July in Portland with 500 developers from all around the world. You can find them at infinite.red. Make sure to mention you heard about them in this ad. Um, so that is not quite correct. And I think it's helpful to kind of learn what's going on under the hood mm-hmm. um, and to have the right mental model to understand the trade-offs. Um, and again, you, you said this right, but I think the, the article could be misunderstood. So is it helpful for folks to know that React Native is still executing your JavaScript. So there is a JavaScript runtime that's running JavaScript code on your device. That's how things like CodePush and Expo are able to deploy updates over the air because new JavaScript code is sent. So the business logic of your app in that way is running in JavaScript at real time. Um, The stuff that happens at the native level is native user interface widgets are still used. So it's like the, the brain of your app is running in JavaScript. Um, And it's calling out to all these native things that are happening to make native things happen on the screen, uh, other APIs behind the scenes and things like that. I think of it like there's a big ball of JavaScript in the middle of your app and the user interface is on one
0: side. Uh,
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. A big ball of JavaScript control center in the middle. There's UI on one end and then like device APIs on the other end. That's where things happen natively. But yeah, in, the, in the, um, the section of the article where it compared other cross-platform alternatives, I'm not actually sure with Flutter and with Xamarin, if they may actually compile down to native code, Objective-C or Java or Java bytecode. I'm not totally sure. But at least with React Native, it is JavaScript that's running at runtime. And I think it can be helpful for, for folks to understand.
1: Yeah, I've spoken to members of the Xamarin team on multiple occasions. Um, it statically compiles C Sharp to iOS runtime and JVM runtime. So they are full-on native apps at the end of the day. Flutter, I don't know.
0: Cool. Chris, you were ready to move on to the next point so we can yeah. do that if you like. Yeah, so the next point is hot reloading. And I've had a lot of experience with that this past week, just working in a different environment. And, um, you know, obviously, it makes such a big deal. And uh, one of the points this, this article kind of uh, doesn't mention either is over-the-air updates, which is, I feel like, a pretty huge benefit um, if you've ever gone through a deployment process for an application. But you know, being able to make those small tweaks to a UI and see how it looks as you're working through it and seeing it automatically reload is is huge. You know, and especially when you're, you know, when you're hot reloading, you're moving data around and you want to just log out and see how things are looking or attaching a debugger, this is just such a huge benefit. But, you know, unfortunately I haven't worked in Swift, so I I can't give or Androids per se. So I can't kind of key in completely on what that development environment feels like. But I have worked with other developers and I know the Xcode build process, you know, when your app starts to get to that complex state, the build is one of the steps that really does slow your development time down.
2: Yeah, if I understand right about React Native's architecture, there was previously a concept of live reloading and hot reloading, where live reloading would catch a change to your code and say, cool, I'm going to restart your app Uh, I mean, the the native code is still running, but I'm going to reload the JavaScript and kick the app off from start. Um, Whereas hot reloading attempted to keep the app, the component tree running the same with all of your component state and Redux state and everything like that, and just swap out the JavaScript code that was used for individual components. And the hope there would be that if you had navigated down to a deep point in your application, that it would be able to keep you on the same screen with new JavaScript code running, but your state is not lost. Now, if I understand right, in React Native 60, uh, 0.61, a new feature called Fast Refresh was released that replaced both of them. Um, I think Dan Abramov was working on this, and as you might imagine, stuff Dan works on, he's, he's a pretty knowledgeable guy. Um, it's, gonna, it's gonna tend to work pretty well. <laughs> um, but the idea here is that this was attend, uh, uh, intended to address some of the instability with hot reloading. It's an inherently hard computer science problem, I think, to like keep your data there and like swap out the code that runs underneath it. And so I think fast refresh was written to attempt to fix that. So I haven't um, noticed it like to dug in a bit uh, in depth to see the differences and if it runs better or what. Um, But for folks that are on React Native 0.61, look for fast refresh in your developer menu and uh, give it a try and see how it runs. Do you know if you're on 61, uh, Chris?
0: I'll have to check. I imagine I am because that little sample thing I spun up was only two weeks ago and I was noticing I think I had mentioned uh, with like the installation of React Native and just like the CLI I was driving everything was being driven through MPX because the uh, actual CLI was moved off of core for that. I'm I'm blanking out on what the like movement was called. But yeah, I imagine I am. I'll have to check and look for that in the menu.
1: Yeah, I know that for iOS apps I'm, well, I haven't, try to build one in a while, but, um, the process at least a year or so ago was that you would tell it to build the app and then it would reload your uh, simulator. And so, yeah, if your app took a minute or two to load, you'd be sitting there waiting for a minute or two before your changes were reflected. So, you know, having anything that can essentially, you know, reload your app without you having to wait for that process. Cause react native apps still take, you know, a second or two to build Something that can give you that fast feedback is is really really valuable.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially uh, you know, even if it is a minute, I mean, it, it that process takes a minute, but in one minute, I can get distracted so easy and end up losing ten minutes. You know, just checking email or looking at messages. So that hot reloading, Twitter. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not cool enough for a Twitter, but you know, if like a, you know, flashlight, you know, a shiny light pops in my window. I'll be like, what's that, you know, and just leave my office, (laughs) but you know, hot reloading, you know, it just kind of gives you that instantaneous feedback to when you're getting beginning, when you're in the beginning of your development, like career, seeing something automatically give you that feedback kind of gives you that sense of accomplishment, which is super beneficial when you're getting started. All right. What's next? Cool. Yeah. So let's, Let's move on to the next one. We've kind of touched on this a couple of times. It's uh, smaller teams uh, is the next point. And obviously the huge benefit here is, uh, you know, even if you're on a, you can still have a large team, but the coordinating cross technology is sometimes, um, you know, when you're working with different developers, uh, you know, there's different languages that can be spoken between a Java developer, a Swift developer, and a JavaScript person, you know, so you can kind of come down to, you know, common you know, knowledge in terms of whatever you're building, but having, there's, you know, no kind of substitute for having someone who's built maybe a web implementation of the application and then moving over to a mobile version of that. So they have an idea of what kind of, you know, idiosyncrasies are in the actual data and how the app should function and move. And now that they're on a mobile environment, being able to kind of tap into some of the you know, animations that navigation can offer or any other kind of added, you know, benefits of being in mobile.
2: Usually when I hear folks talk about smaller teams with React Native, it's the idea of just needing fewer developers total. Like, oh, if you're not building the code twice, you don't need as many developers. You build it once, and maybe there's a little cross-platform overhead, but it's less than a full iOS team and a full Android team. But I love the focus of this article that talked about communication, and that's just what you said, Chris as well that that knowledge that you get from building the feature on one platform and that it can apply on the other side or that you can be building the feature at the same time and I think just that communication approach where you don't have um, these separate groups, I think like even from a hypothetical standpoint, if I would, could have was just building mobile applications and I could have five iOS developers or five Android developers or 10 developers that are all working on the same technology, I think there's major communication benefits to have the 10 developers on the same technology because there's just a freer flow of information. Um, and I'm someone that doesn't believe you can just like write out a specification and there we go, now we'll build the app. Like you have to learn and figure things out as you build it as a team, uh, What how you need to implement it, what requirements the business actually has, what is actually gonna be the most useful. And that informal flow of information works better when you're on a shared technology. It's not the only factor, of course, but given that I think that React Native is a really great technology, there's those communication team interpersonal benefits of all being on the same stack.
1: Yeah, I find this one a little bit maybe. And and I agree with you, um, Josh, on on your points there. I also think that, yeah, there's going to be some some level of shared logic, you know, between the two apps, your your Android app and your iOS app, right? And so, you know, besides the the communication, which I think is always the most critical uh, aspect these days of building software, is your, your ability of your team to communicate. The, the flip side is, is that, yeah, you're going to have some shared stuff, and that's going to make things a lot easier just in general. One thing that I would also point out, though, is that some of your shared logic could be pushed down to an API or serverless functions or things like that. And so there are other ways to mitigate some of this stuff. And so, yeah, I kind of saw this and I was like, it it probably depends on your use case. I I think you're going to get some mileage out of using the same platform for both teams or both aspects of your team. But yeah, depending on what you're doing, you may wind up having to have an uh, iOS and an Android expert on your team anyway, at least one of each, so that they can fix the issues that are going to crop up that are outside of the expertise of everybody else. So uh, I I think this is much more case by case basis than the other, the other things that have been brought up here.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. And the article points it out too, if it's a complex application, you know, then at that point, it might not even be a good fit for the framework, but obviously, yeah, it's one of those things where it is a benefit in some situations, but given the use case, it could also be a drawback because now, if you do have a smaller team and you're juggling multiple applications, are you running tight on resources? But due to the nature of the framework, it is an easier talent pool to pull from. So yeah, this one is definitely a little bit of a gray area. It's kind of got that pro and con feel to it. I don't know if you how you feel about that, Josh.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but, but, but that said, I mean, yeah, I, I think generally you're right, Josh. The other thing that I also want to just throw in here to keep in mind is that um depending on what your budget is the size of your team is how you're going to divide up responsibilities and things like that your mileage may vary there too right it may not save you a smaller team it may allow you to assign more people to other functionality or it may just turn out that you still need that many mobile developers and that you're still going to have a web team on the back end that's going to build your apis and
0: things like that Uh, this ties into our four approach episode that about josh's article where yeah if you do you know, this might be an opportunity where you have your web team writing certain components that are being integrated into a native app, I think is kind of another benefit of React Native. One of the pros, I might say, uh, that maybe this article might miss. And it's just something for the uh, audience to keep in mind. All right, Uh, Josh, did you have anything to add before I cut you off? Or did you want to move on to the next point? Yeah, let's keep going. Cool. So the next point is fast applications. So this one, I guess, in terms of the pros might be a little bit One of the more controversial ones, (laughs) but the article actually has a use case where they built an app and and native code and then built one in React Native and compared uh, speed times. And it was actually relatively similar and they didn't really notice any kind of user uh, discrepancies or anything like that. So I thought that was kind of an interesting point because obviously a lot of companies don't have those resources where they can do that. And this might kind of settle some of the concerns of those who were just kind of on the fence of React Native. I mean, I I was surprised to see that. What were your guys' thoughts?
2: I agreed that uh, that would be controversial. I think the the post definitely came down seemingly on the extreme of like, hey, performance is not a problem. Um, And I think there's a mix there. I think, And and this is a good point about evaluation. Folks want to be able to decide React Native is fast or React Native is slow. And uh, unfortunately, there's just a lot more trade-offs than that. I think, you know, Facebook is for the last few years has been working on gradually rewriting the internals of React Native to handle a number of different performance uh, issues. Or you could say to to create an architecture that more naturally supports the highest possible performance needed. Um, Facebook wouldn't be putting that in that effort if the performance was totally perfect. Uh, Ram N from Facebook uh, gave a talk at Chain React and then he was a guest on React Native radio on episode 130. And so his talk was about performance um, and he was actually talking about things that you can do today to increase the performance uh, of your app. Uh, he made a point in particular at the start of his talk that was really great, where he was hearing folks say, React Native is slow uh, on the app he was working on. He's like, well, what do you mean by that? And he really dug in. And when he got down to it, it, was like, these are specific things that are happening in our app that users are perceiving as slow. OK, cool. Like Now we can look into those. Um, but if nothing else, you know the, the, the asynchronous nature of the JavaScript bridge. Is something that is often brought up and Facebook brings up. And a lot of the new architecture that's coming for React Native is meant to address that, to provide synchronous ways for data to flow back and forth in ways that are going to kind of prevent some insurmountable problems with things kind of falling behind the 60 frames per second that you might otherwise want. So I think. This is something where you kind of need to know the needs of your application. Um, I'm sure some folks have made games in React Native. If you know that 60 frame per second video game is the biggest need you have, maybe Unity would be better or native code. Um, but if at the other extreme, if you just have a forum-based app, you know, probably performance isn't the biggest deal. You'll be able to scroll a table view and see your data. It should be fine. And maybe your app is somewhere in the middle. So I would definitely say that performance is a mixed bag. And it would be good for folks to look into the implications of React Native when they decide to choose it, depending on how big a deal performance is. But of course, folks can tend to say, oh, I just want, I want it all. I want to build an app that's going to be as performant as possible, even though I just have a form app. Well, you're, you're losing something. There are trade-offs. You are paying a cost to get that maximum possible performance that your app may not need.
1: I, I want to know how they measured the performance here. I mean, that that's really where I get stuck is I look at it and I'm thinking, you know what? There are probably some apps, you know, I, I, th- I think you said it the, the right way, Josh. Some some apps, not going to matter. Some apps, it may be faster to run React Native. Who knows? Some some may not. Um, I want to see how they measure it and then essentially kind of work from there. Because, yeah, in the simple case, yeah, I'm guessing that, yeah, it was forms over data, it runs real you know, runs real fast, you know, scroll your table view, you're set, right? but you know, yeah what what are we doing? Where are we measuring the performance? How do we actually see where it makes a difference? Um, the other thing is is that, yeah, for the most part if it if it scrolls and moves and acts the same way as a native app within a few milliseconds or something, I probably won't be able to tell, and it won't matter and so yeah i I, I want to know you know what are we actually measuring and and how do we actually how do we actually know
0: yeah i mean this point alone can be its own article slash like dissertation i mean really in terms of what they're measuring and you know what's the use case, use case and the control i mean I, I mean and it's interesting too because i mean the navigation aspect too because if you know well i'm jumping a little bit ahead but you know uh one of the cons is navigation so i'm curious to see if they ever do release anything what that app looked like looked like
2: yeah data is very helpful
1: yep well,
0: Cool. Uh, you guys want to move on to the last point for the pros?
1: Yeah, let's so do I, it.
0: In this one, they, they're they calling it simplified UI. And I, I feel like this might relate to my first point in terms of, you know, debugging in React Native and, you know, um, seeing logs and just some of the other tools out there like Redux DevTools or Reactotron, being able to kind of, you know, time travel through your app and see where things fell apart or where things are working. But that was kind of the main point of this section was just the, I guess the usability of developing in React Native really. Declarative programming
2: is the biggest point that I took away from this section, declarative rendering. And that is very, very huge for me. Having done a little bit of iOS development, you know, it was an imperative UI. You have to call a function or a method to change something in the UI. And so to be able to just say, here's what my API should look like as a function of state. Um, I don't have a philosophical preconception of liking that, but you know, imp- Practically, for the apps I'm working on, it's just so nice to change the data and the UI automatically updates. Um, Ash Furrow had a blog post a while back, and I'll put that in the show notes, where he's arguing, uh, giving the case for React Native for native developers and saying that um, declarative UIs are a a big, big benefit and a reason to reach for it. This is why um, Apple's come out with Swift UI and Google or the Android team has come up with uh, Jetpack Compose, which are both, if I understand correctly, declarative UI uh, implementations, but on top of Swift, on top of Kotlin. And so they see, hey, whether we use JavaScript or not, whether we try to go cross-platform or not, declarative UI is extremely productive, and those tools have gotten great early reviews. React Native has a lot more years under its belt, so it's really interesting that the third-party JavaScript framework has a lot more maturity than these first-party native code frameworks when it comes to declarative UI. But yeah, the, the declarative UI is a huge, huge win for me. That's one where I can't think of a lot of cases where there would be the benefit of a pair, imperative
1: UI. I don't have enough experience in, in this arena to really comment on it. So... <laughs> Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
0: All right. Well, I think that we hit that point pretty well. So let's move on to the cons of React Native. And the first one they want to point out is less smooth navigation, which... um, you know the apps I've worked in, it's been mostly data form-based, and I haven't really run into this because there isn't a ton of animation. And I actually just walked watched a talk this morning about React Navigation Five, and they're doing a lot of stuff in house to kind of handle some of these issues and kind of tapping into the native APIs. But I do know that you know throughout React Native's history, the past couple of years, this has been one of the pain points in terms of you know the, getting the native feel and making it feel smooth and just overall kind of even development struggles.
2: Yeah, I would definitely group with this, with performance in general. A lot of times you, with where we are in 2019, the navigation libraries you have are probably fine. If your needs are really, really demanding, you're navigating around really quickly. um, That is probably worth a proof of concept to try it out first to see if it can meet your performance needs, but, I think we're in a, a good state with navigation options right now. I'm, that's not a part that I'm too concerned when I'm evaluating, evaluating React Native's fitness for different projects.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll just kind of, I, I, kind, I think I agree with both of you in the sense that we've seen a number of navigation libraries come up and nobody's been 100% satisfied with all of them. And yeah, you know, there's still issues there, but I mean, for the most part, it seems like the general cases work. And, you know, so for the most part, we can kind of work through that and deal with them and and be okay with them for now. But yeah, you know, if you're trying to do something customized or weird or anything like that, then that's an issue.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what you will run into these issues is if you have something irregular and you want to do, you know, some kind of nested, you know, customs, you know, item that, you know, you have your own animation you build. I feel like, yeah, you'll see issues there just because you're kind of you know, working across native APIs and going across a bridge and trying to, you know, use the tool out of sort. So I feel like, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I I agree. And yeah, just just looking at these other two cons, I think we've more or less talked about them already. So
0: yeah, the next two, yeah, the next two cons are, the second one is lack of some custom modules, which I find interesting just because of one of the pros being, you know, npm. But yeah. I think the issue is just some of the, you know, it's the standard kind of issues with NPM where, y- you know, you're just going package shopping and you might be pulling something that's not really ready for a production environment. And the yep. third one is uh, native developers are still needed when you're working React Native.
1: Yep, And, and yeah, we kind of talked through that too, right? If you, if you need specialized something or other, and I think they're related too, then you're probably going to wind up. Needing a native developer to to bridge the gap, or have one of your React native developers figure that stuff out, but it's a separate learning curve and so it's hard. Yeah. So I'm curious yeah. on these alternative uh, alternatives real quick because I know that we we have a little bit of a time um, requirement. Ha, have you guys built native apps or Flutter apps or native script? Is Xamarin?
0: Uh, I have not. Uh, just more the progressive web app land, um, mm-hmm. but nothing in Flutter i've've i've heard I've listened to uh some talks about Dart specifically, and that's what Flutter is built in yep, and I know there's a lot of power there, but I don't have any first hand experience.
2: I use Flutter on a hackathon project um and I think their assessment of this article is spot on for what I would feel like it's It's interesting and appealing um It is very new, so the adoption level and like just community and number of packages is much smaller. You know, because as a React developer, the inherent overlap with React Native is much more appealing to me than needing to learn a separate uh, language and a separate framework without the parallels being there. The fact that it's all unified on a type safe language could be appealing for some folks and they mentioned native developers might Mm -hmm. like it better. Um, Another trade off there is the fact that Flutter takes a different user interface approach. So I'd encourage folks to look into that where um, React Native uses native UI widgets whereas Flutter um, draws the UI itself. So it just kind of takes a single screen, Flutter handles all of the drawing, and it has its own implementation of text boxes of buttons. And there are trade-offs there. There's not, there are pros and cons between the two um, that's worth looking into if you're thinking about Flutter.
1: Nice. And yeah, I've played with Ionic, I've played with um, Native on both iOS and Android, and they, they all have a different learning curve. I haven't played with Flutter yet. Um, I've also fiddled around with uh, NativeScript a bit. Um, In a lot of ways, like NativeScript and React Native have a lot in common because they both build their UIs out of native components. And then they, they do all of the business logic and other compute stuff with JavaScript. And they both work across the JavaScript bridge. Like I said, I don't know how Flutter does it. I haven't had a chance to fiddle with that one yet. One thing I have found is that the learning curve for React Native seems to be smaller than the learning curve for native ios or native android and so um, i found it much more approachable just as a web developer to go with react native so uh, that i mean there's that native script was kind of the same boat has a lot in common there Um, cordova does things a little bit different ionic was super easy i think the learning curve for ionic if you're a web developer is actually easier than react native but you know, it sticks everything into the web view and then, you know, kind of farms out to native code to do the native stuff, you know, the camera and things like that. So, you know, your your trade-off is in a different place there. But yeah, you know, all in all, I, I really like the React Native approach. And I would probably pick it over pretty much any of the other ones. And I'm not just saying that because of this show. I'm really saying it because I've played with a lot of the other ones and the the combination between the learning curve and you know, the way that it runs things, it just it just feels more natural in a lot of ways to the way that Apple and Google are thinking about Android and iOS. And so you you get a lot of the niceties without having to go whole hog into the land of native code. And yeah, you may have to go delve into some native stuff for some of the things you want to do. But for the general case, especially if you're just kind of pushing data back and forth over an API and then storing it on your device, you can access it quickly it does a pretty darn good job.
0: Yeah, and the article does a real good job of staying pretty biased. And at the bottom, they actually have a React Native experience, like learn from other section, where they kind of point to companies that are using React Native and some that have pulled away like Airbnb, how Discord uses it for iOS and Uber Eats and, and how they're using it. And then they actually link to other detailed articles. So if you're listening to this as like a, you know, should I, shouldn't I not, I would really pay attention to that section versus the pros and cons, cause that's gonna be real life experience from what people are doing. And then they also talk about how it changed the whole artsy implementation of mobile development, which we've kind of talked about a little bit before as well.
1: Yep, yeah, the The Airbnb case is really interesting, but yeah, they they had a lot of other things going on that made it, you know, and, and I think this is healthy too, because then it's, you know what, um, this isn't a silver bullet, it's not for everybody, right? And so, as your business uh, concerns change, you may wind up going to something else, or figuring out that React Native is not the solution in the first place. And that's fair, and it's fine. And I don't think anyone should be upset at anyone for making that decision. It, but I like that you know, it is a good solution for I'd, I'd say 80 to 90 percent of the cases out there, and so you can go with it there. And then, yeah, you know, um, we're all learning and growing, and so yeah, as we learn and grow, we may learn and grow our way into, "Hey, this other thing's going to work better for us."
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I don't, for lack of a better word, these framework war, wars, you know, you, you, they all learn from each other, you yeah. know, like before, you know, Ember really mastered the CLI and then angular two came out and they had a great CLI, you know, so. Angular all,
1: CLI was originally built on the Ember CLI.
0: Yeah. So, so exactly. It's just, it's cool when you can kind of reach across the aisle for, you know, and learn from each other and yeah. kind of improve on what you have going on.
1: Yep. hundred percent. Now I've got a hard stop in like seven minutes. So unless there's something else, I'm probably going to encourage us to move to picks. Yeah, I'm good for picks.
2: I could share first. Uh, I have just one pick. Um, It is the book, uh, It Doesn't Have to be Crazy at Work uh, by uh, DHH and Jason. I forget Jason's last name. Jason Freed. Jason Freed, yeah, of of Basecamp. Um, So uh, they are famous for Rails. They are famous for being very opinionated on things. Um, This book is really powerful for me. Um, It gets at... Kind of the core, certainly if you're running a company, it's very helpful um, because it's talked about how they run their company, the decisions they make. I would say, as an employee, it's also helpful um, to s- describe the way things can be at work. I mean, the title just says everything, it, right it doesn't have to be crazy. You don't always need to be working 60 to 80 hours a week. Um, you don't always need to be cramming more and more into every sprint. Um, you don't always need to uh, have bigger and bigger teams, just adding more teams and technologies to try to accomplish something good that may not be helping. Um, you don't have to say yes to every customer feature request. Um, so the, the the corporate culture that Basecamp has, I think, is really great. And I haven't worked there, and not everything in the book that I agree with, but many things in the book I very strongly agree with. And, uh, you know, Chuck and I have mentioned this before. Um, but I think it's something that we share. Um, I really care about trying to help developers have a better experience and not... Um, uh, yeah, to not just be very put upon by some companies that I would say are poorly run and uh, take advantage of developers and just to know that things can be better. And so um, if you're feeling overwhelmed by work, uh, I, as the title would suggest, I think this book is really helpful to show you what's possible. And you know, to the degree that you have uh, the experience and the ability to go out and, and get a new job, um, you can look for somewhere that's better or you can talk to your boss or manager and set personal boundaries Um, to have an experience where you're not just constantly being asked to work later and later um, and being blamed for things that go wrong. So um, yeah, if you're at all overwhelmed by your work experience, I definitely recommend checking out this book. And if you are a leader in your company, it's a lot of great principles about how to create a great work environment. That's all for me.
1: Nice.
0: Okay. Yeah. So my tip of of the week, my, uh, my pick is one of those (laughs) two. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's a, mine's a hybrid tip of the week. Uh, I don't know how else to phrase it, and it's not a very good pick, so I apologize. I usually like to do developer-oriented stuff, but I think just because of the time of year, this is like I think two weeks till Christmas, maybe nine days. I don't know, but uh, I kind of came across this recently. I got a new laptop and uh, new headphones, and I just like I really like that financial independence movement, and one of the big things is car purchasing, and they always say, "Oh, purchase a car that's a couple years old," you know, you. Obviously get a discount while it's taken care of and all that depreciation has been handled. And I've noticed that actually with uh, laptops and headphones, you can kind of get away with that as well. If you go on offer up and let go and you can get the serial number for an Apple product. If that product was purchased within the past 60 days, you can still get Apple care on it. So that's kind of like my pick slash tip of the week is. You can really get a device for really reasonable price, probably cheaper than anywhere else, and still get Apple Care on it so you're still protected. So check that out. You just uh, get the serial number and Apple has a website. You type it in. They tell you you can get Apple Care on it. And that's it for me.
1: Nice. Uh, I'm going to throw in a couple of picks here. Um, the first one is, is just uh, the system that I use to kind of do time management. I've been... It's a video that John Sonmez actually put out several years ago, and I've kind of adapted it to my own purposes. It's worked out really well. Um, But I use Kanban Flow, which is kind of like a a Trello board and uh, things like that. And so what I do is I have basically a swim lane is what they call them in Kanban boards. So I have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then I have all of the tasks in there um, color-coded. So all of the ones that I have to do today are colored green. All of the kind of the default ones that aren't assigned to anything. So when I create a new, a new task, it's, it's yellow. And then, you know, I can assign it to green if it's something that I have to do today. Um, and then the podcast recordings are in pink and, or I guess it's red. I don't know. It's pink, red, red, pink. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, so I just get in and then it has a Pomodoro timer stuck in it. And so I, uh, I just start the Pomodoro timer when we start doing whatever it is we're doing. And then I end it, you know, or it'll, it'll end on its own. So for like, for right now, I have the, uh, react native radio, um, task running. And it says that I've been running it for more than 25 minutes. Cause my Pomodoro was up, you know, what, 15 minutes ago or something um but that works out really well and then what it allows me to do is then I can go and I can look and I can say okay and when I finish a task I just move it over into the done column and I just set set this up every week and then just work through it and so it's been pretty nice um and I, I wind up usually having one two or three things that I have to do every day so right now the, my green tasks for today are prospecting follow up um reading my scriptures and doing that kind of study finding hosts for the shows I've got a couple of uh, ads for advertisers I need to record and then I've got a lineup guest for a new show we're starting next year in partnership with uh an online training company. And so those are my those are those and then uh the other ones are you know working on a side project I've got. Um I'm trying to get javascriptforum.net up and running, you know, and get some posts in there and things like that. Um I'm also looking for moderators and stuff like that, but just working through that. Um, writing some blog posts. Um, writing email campaigns. Um, I have a couple of calls with sponsors or advertisers today, and you know throughout the rest of the week. And so that that has a task in there, and email has a task in there. And then I have React Native Radio and Adventures in DevOps that I'm recording today. So those are in pink. So that that's kind of how I go. And then yeah, I can just kind of keep track of oh I spent some time on this, I spent some time on that. You know I spent however long on email, but it gives me a way of just working through uh the system and knowing, okay, I got everything done I needed to do today. And then I can go and, you know, do whatever else I'm going to do today. So uh, a lot of times if I don't get the green tasks done, then I'll go downstairs, have dinner, hang out with my family, and then I will uh, come back up here and finish it up. And so, yeah, the green stuff is stuff that I've committed to today. So sometimes I wind up pushing email off for a few days just because it's yellow. Um, to get the green stuff done. So anyway, that that's kind of the system I have. And then um, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but I should have a Kickstarter coming up soon. Um, and it's going to be a for essentially a system for you to get audio courses. So if you there are a lot of video course systems out there, um, I could recommend a few like Thinkster or Pluralsight. But you know, nobody's doing the sort of that sort of content in audio format. And I've had a lot of people talk to me about how nice it is to have the podcasts to kind of hit those topics and dive into them. So yeah, we can't show you code on audio. But the fact that we have enough to talk about every week in audio tells me that there's room for audio courses. So you can go check that out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes if the Kickstarter is up. And if not, then just keep an ear out because I will announce when it's coming out and when you can go support it on Kickstarter and when you can sign up. So yeah, those are my picks. I'm done.
0: All right. Well, that's really, what was that project tracking software called? That was really cool.
1: Uh, it, I'm using Kanban Flow.
0: All right. Well, cool. And that's all I got. Josh, you got anything else before we head out? I'm good. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to React Native Radio, and we will see you next week.
1: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more.